0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open Holy Scripture in the New Testament. James chapter 2, we'll read from verse 14 through verse 26. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but... Has no deeds. Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. But does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let us hear the proclamation of God's word and give our attention to the truth of God's word, which we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 32. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits, and he may be praised by us further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbors for Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means, Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like shall inherit the kingdom of God. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our confession takes an approach to the matter of good works or fruits of thankfulness, an approach that we do well to always pay attention to. It is the approach of Scripture, the Word of God. Good works, fruits of thankfulness, are a matter of course. Of course, good works. Of course, fruits of thankfulness to God. No question, no debate. This is something we would already have seen in Lord's Day 24 of the Heidelberg Catechism. The words, well-known words, it is impossible. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness cannot belong to Jesus Christ without bearing fruit to God and the same is now stated in question 86 why must we do good works the question is not the question is not must we do good works that's not the question of course we must do good works but now the question is why what is their place? What is their purpose? They definitely belong in the life of Christians. It's part of the definition of a Christian. But where and how do good works belong in the life of Christians? What what do they do? This approach would also match the Christian experience, as Scripture would describe that when someone believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, things change. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and your life takes a turn. A Christian will find it to be so, not, not by any effort, but more by discovery. It comes upon a believer. Christ changes those who are His. He takes us from darkness to light, takes us from blindness to sight, takes us from slavery to freedom, from hatred to love. That, that change is not something added on or tacked on the end of salvation. It, it's not an add-on feature for those who might be eager about being Christian, or for the ones who might want to be more serious about being Christian. No, that that change is not something you consider you might also try if you believe in Jesus Christ. No, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and changes come. If changes do not come, even though they might come in fits and starts and with stumbling. But if there is no change, there is there is no faith in Jesus Christ. Question and answer 87, the second question and answer of Lord's Day 32, says the same thing from from the other angle, from the other side can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? Now, the question there is not, can sinners be saved? We know already that that's the only kind God saves. God saves sinners in Christ. So that's not the question that's being asked. Can sinners be saved? The question is this, can someone be saved And not turn to God. And the answer is emphatic. By no means. There's no such thing that that is inconceivable. Turning to God from an ungrateful and impenitent walk of life is not an add-on feature that someone who is saved might also consider. Now it belongs to the definition of a saved person, that he or she turns to God from a life of sin with a grateful, penitent heart and life. Scripture says that no one living in sin will inherit the kingdom of God. As the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Of God. Do not be deceived about this, he says. Says the word of God, 1 Corinthians 6. And then there the apostle Paul gives a, gives a whole long list to kind of push the point in all sorts of directions to, to hit as many people as possible perhaps. He says neither, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, such were some of you, but but no more. You were saved, washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Belonging to Jesus Christ comes with change necessarily, By definition, you were this, now you are this no longer, because you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in Him. This is, this is not a question for those who believe. When you believe, you know. It's what happens. Change comes upon you. This is something that is taught also in the passage which we read from the letter of James, a well-known passage about faith and works. It's not the intention of James or the word of God in that letter to teach something different than what the Apostle Paul teaches. Cannot use this passage to say that James is teaching something that contradicts what Paul said No, both were inspired by the same Spirit of God. It is the one Word of God. The Apostle Paul wrote that a person is justified by faith apart from works. He wrote that by inspiration of the Spirit. Justified by faith apart from works. In other words, there is need to make a distinction between faith and works. In the ground of our salvation, when God declares sinners righteous in Christ, it is apart from any consideration of our good works. Justification is entirely the result of or grounded in Christ's work on our behalf. As we also read every time from the form for the Lord's Supper, Our salvation is in Christ. Christ is, and His work, is the only ground of our salvation. Words in the form for the Lord's Supper. Christ's work, what He accomplished. Satisfaction, His righteousness and holiness. Lord's Day 23. God reckons to believers freely by grace alone, to be received by believers by faith alone. Rest in Christ. Now, the letter of James is not contradicting that the ground of our salvation is still entirely settled in Christ alone, apart from our works. But James' emphasis is different. The Word of God emphasizes a different point in James chapter 2. There, the Word of God is confronting the idea that someone might Be a believer and not live a new life out of faith. Not express that faith. That is impossible, says the Word of God. Faith without works is useless, is dead. And to make that clear, the Word of God shows us Abraham and Rahab. Abraham offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar, believing God's word, believing in Christ. That was an occasion, says the word of God, where you see faith working along with works. In other words, faith and works go seamlessly together in the Christian life. So that the faith of Abraham becomes evident in what Abraham did. You can, you can see that Abraham is a believer, we could say. Take away the doing and you empty out the believing. What God asked him to do was an occasion for believing. So what part of what Abraham did was believing? What part of what Abraham did was, was working? It is woven together in the Christian life. Every step of Abraham up the mountain with his son was a step taken in faith. Faith and works woven together as one in a person's life, person who is saved. Now, yes, they are still distinct, faith and works. That's why also in James he can speak about faith and works. That there is a different name for each. One is called faith and one is called works. Proves that there is a distinction to be made. That distinction serves a very important purpose in the way of salvation. In the ground of salvation. But they are inseparable in life. In the exercise of the Christian life, they go together. Can you dissect one from the other, works from faith? Can we imagine one without the other? That's like breaking up the seamlessness of spirit and body. Life requires both together. The same with Rahab. When Rahab believed, she also acted in faith. She protected the spies in Jericho. Her faith in the God of Israel and the coming Christ was proven in the activity of faith. Her doing was the occasion for faith, and her doing was faith-doing. Cannot just split that up so easily, what belongs so seamlessly together in Rahab's life of faith. What part of what she did was faith? What part of what she did was works? You can't separate that. In the life of the believer, you cannot dissect that as though one can exist without the other. As soon as you dissect them, you get a dead faith. Like taking apart spirit and body. And so there are those Fairly bold words, James chapter 2. Abraham, our father, was justified by works. Justified, used here as proven to be a believer. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? sounds provocative if you know the word in in Paul's context justified by but here it means more like works vindicate faith believers are evidenced as believers by their works by a life of faith and again for just as the body without the spirit is dead so also faith without works is dead no such thing As a saved person who does not also work before God, that is one person. And again, all this not to deny the grounds for justification. Justification is based on the work of Christ exclusively and completely to be rested in by believers. We're not denying that point. Word of God is not denying that, but making the other point to emphasize that the faith which rests in Christ's finished work alone can never exist apart from a life of faith expressed in new desires, in new thoughts, in new words and actions. All of life, life is the occasion for living the faith which rests in God's finished work in Christ. All of this to show the inescapable truth that the the necessity for good works is not a question for believers. It should not be a question for us. A changed life is what it's all about. Again, Ephesians 2, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, there is no other kind of salvation. What then is the function? What is the aim of good works? What do they do in our life? And this is answered in Lord's Day 32 in, from a number of angles. The variety of uses for good works can deepen our appreciation for what God in Christ is doing in our life, in the life of those who belong to the Lord Jesus. So first is mentioned there, we must do good works because Christ's work is redemption and renewal. Christ's work is one, redemption from the guilt of sin, renewal from the power of sin. So, Christ's work is to make a complete end of sin. A complete end of sin in those who are his. So he came for us in our place with the intent that we may also become like him where he is beyond sin. He renews us to be his image. That's why we do. Good works. And when we love the Lord Jesus for His redeeming sacrifice, then this, this is also where our love flows over to Him. He works that in us. We want to be like the Lord Jesus who came for us. We want to be like Him more and more beyond sin's power and influence in our life. It's like the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2, He says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, the mind and the life of humble service. And then in Ephesians, in Philippians 2, the apostle speaks about Christ's deep humiliation for us. Death even unto death on a cross. Obedience even unto death on a cross. Christ's servant work for God on our behalf. Now, that work by which Christ redeemed us from sin, that work also serves as an example for us. We want to be like that too, says the Apostle Paul, not denying Christ's unique work, but he also says we we want to be like that too, beyond sin of hatred and me first and envy and, and bitterness, as he describes it there in Philippians 2. Christ's redeeming work, has the pattern in it for his renewing work. By his unique servant work for us, we become servant people like him. That's why we must do good works. The servant of God, by his good work, makes many servants like him full of good works. And then we have the aspect of thankfulness to God. Praise to Him. Redeemed from sin and death, we now live to God. Christ's work turns the direction of our life. See, salvation in Jesus Christ is not just to get a pass for later. Salvation in Jesus Christ is not just for the time to come when we have to meet our judge. As if, as if in the meantime, between now and then, we, we can get on with a life free from the burden and anxiety of judgment day, but pretty much do our own thing between now and then. so easy to treat salvation as a kind of insurance policy for the future sometime, while we just go on and carve our own life here today. But that's impossible. There is no place in the middle somewhere for me to be just myself. Either I still belong to sin and Satan and death or I belong to God in Jesus Christ and a new life. There is no middle ground for kind of some free time between now and and Judgment Day for Christians. Salvation in Jesus Christ takes us and turns us face to face with the living God now to make us want to live for Him. The Lord God doesn't just bring a people, let's say, out of Egypt and let them go. He brings His people out of Egypt in order to bring them to Himself. Let's say at Mount Sinai or in the land. He brings a people to Himself. Cannot imagine the exodus from Egypt without the meeting at Sinai. Without living towards God every day at the tabernacle in the midst of the camp cannot imagine redemption in Christ's blood and not living thankfully towards God every day. Besides these things, there are two other things mentioned in answer 86, something about assurance for ourselves and then something about winning our neighbor for Christ. Good works in the life of believers Good works in our life have these added benefits, have this added purpose in the plan of God. So their first faith, says the Word of God, faith can be seen by its fruit, something we've also looked at then in James. When we see the fruit, when we see the good works in our life, then we trace that back to faith and the work of the Spirit in us. Now, in this scheme, good works are not supposed to be a substitute for faith in the promises of God. It's not now that faith starts to look to works for comfort and encouragement. Good works without still believing in the promises of God, good works or busyness without looking to the crucified Christ is nothing else than than moralism, and that's a whole different religion completely. We cannot now have the mentality, look at my works, I must look for my works, I have to keep it up. No, I must just keep up looking to Christ alone. So good works as an assurance for our faith, or assurance that faith is present, should be seen as a kind of a a quiet, under-the-surface benefit. It's not meant as though we must prove something to ourselves by our good works. We must rest in Christ and the Spirit. Christ has proven Himself to us, and in Him we must rest. And the Spirit proves His work in us, by giving us fruit of the Spirit. And so we are just to, to quietly enjoy, but enjoy the work of the Spirit in us. And that holds true then also for the other part in, in answer 86, that we may win our neighbor for Christ by our godly walk of life. This also should be better be seen as, as a kind of quiet benefit of good works so that we don't start to focus on the wrong thing. If we would try to run our good works ahead of us, on a banner, let's say, as if to prove ourselves to others that we are missing the point, then more than likely we are trying to win some points for ourselves with the neighbor or perhaps trying to win our neighbor for a religion of moralism, which again is a whole different religion. Now this is this is a quiet extra benefit, not a trumpeted benefit. Good works. When we are going about our business believing in the promises of God in Christ, then God in Christ by the Spirit works new life in us, This life we live for God and Christ. Living for God in thankfulness to Him will mean loving Him and loving the neighbor from the heart. As we live this new life to God by the power of the Spirit, He can use it to show Christ to the neighbor. Whether the neighbor is one for Christ or not is up to God, who alone can draw others to Christ. Christ Himself says that. No one can come to Him unless it has been granted to Him by the Father. The Father may use our good works to draw others to Christ. There is one further aspect as to why we must do good works it's in lords day 32 it's not mentioned as explicitly but it is still there at the end of answer 87 we read something about uh, inheriting the kingdom of god inheriting the kingdom of god those uh, those are scripture's words and taken over in answer 87 referring there to the kinds of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God, because of a sinful walk of life in which they continue. Well, there is the flip side that we can consider here. There are people, believers in Christ, that is us, who live a grateful life, a penitent life to God, who are heirs, who do inherit the kingdom of God. So we could say we must also do good works because we are heirs of God's kingdom. We are heirs of God's kingdom. As heirs of his kingdom, we are kings and queens in waiting. It is our privilege and responsibility to live towards the day we enter our inheritance. Good works today are like the blessings of the kingdom of God coming near today. Good works belong to the jewels in the crown of those who will inherit the kingdom of God. Good works are like our crowns being prepared. We must do good works because in them God gives us the first fruits of glory. Would we not want to take hold of our future today? Take hold of our future today. We should be reaching forward to the life of the future, even as the life of the future comes near by the Spirit of God. That's something to be embraced with joy and delight and, and thanksgiving. The new life in Christ, as revealed in the Word of God, as confessed by the church. The new life in Christ is not to be seen as a burden. It is to be embraced as a gift of God in Christ. A gift that, as it were, will will grow all the way till we enter into glory. Good works belong to our salvation in Christ. To do them belongs to our rich privilege of being heirs. Christ, who redeemed us by His blood, also renews us by His Spirit. We have a great Savior who does those things. That means He gives a full salvation. A full salvation. And that means one day we will be like Him. In perfection. Overflowing in, in good works. Overflowing in good works. Wouldn't we want that? Wouldn't we want to get used to that today already? Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web